you're entering a realm of imagination where dreams are told between the lines of the universe. This is a Midnight Tale podcast. I'm your host, Celeste, your guide through this dreamscape. We are continuing our spooky season with another creepy story. This story is a continuation of our last one. This is the first time we've ever had a part two to any story. I really wanted to expand on the universe. I've had so many dreams, well, nightmares about weird and creepy things. I wanted to create a cohesive world where they could all live. Also, I wanted to talk about little Leo more. We will delve further into the world of the strange creatures that plague Celeste's life. We will also learn more about the Secretive Institute. Anyway, I'm glad that you're all here. Please, wherever you are listening, follow the podcast. Also, like and share. It all really helps us out. Thank you so much. Okay, this week's tale is about how Celeste encounters another strange creature that is attracted to water, which is obviously a problem on a world that is 70% water. The sun shined brightly into my eyes. I rolled over to the side towards my bedside table. I checked the time. I was so surprised about how late it was. It was 2 p.m. But the most surprising thing is that it said it was Sunday. I groaned as I sat up. Pain shot through my head. Leo walked up to me and jumped into my lap. I leaned my head into a soft fur as the throbbing in my head overwhelmed me. I felt nauseous and the whole room swayed. I unsteadily got to my feet. I gripped on tightly to Leo and leaned onto the wall for support. I walked down the hallway and towards the living room. Once I got there, I saw the house was a mess. There were plates of food, drinks, cans, cups and bottles everywhere. I looked outside onto the patio and I saw that there were tables set up with tons of chairs everywhere. There were also streamers and confetti on the floor. There were balloons tied up around on the fence. I heard a loud snore and jumped slightly back. I looked around the couch and I noticed that Priscilla's brother Eric and his roommates were on the couch and on the floor. They were all still dead asleep. Their clothes were stained with sauce and drinks. The whole house smelled like alcohol. I walked towards the kitchen and realized that there were broken bottles of alcohol in the trash can. I looked out the window and realized that there were still tons of cars outside in our driveway and in the front of the house. As I looked outside, I could see some of my uncles and aunts and my friends all fast asleep in their cars. I went over to the fridge and it was stuffed full of leftover food that smelled like barbecue. Suddenly in my head flashed a memory. I was standing over the grill, checking over meat and veggies with my friend. We were joking around. Then my head just shot with pain as I gripped onto the counter. I went over to the cabinet and grabbed some pills to help with my headache. I quickly downed them with some water, then sat at the breakfast table. They had crumbs and cups half filled with beer. Leo wiggled a little in my arms wanting to be put down, but I refused to put him down. I wanted to make sure that he didn't get hurt from any of the glass that could still be lying around. I looked out across the kitchen, the living room, then out to the yard, again struggling to remember what happened last night. Suddenly, another memory flashed through my head. I was with Priscilla and all my friends surrounded me. We were taking shots of a very strong tequila that someone had brought over. I couldn't remember who though. I remember the jello shots and mixed drinks were so strong. They warmed up my body as the alcohol traveled through my veins. Everything was just very hazy. I must have drank so much yesterday. I had some sort of weird blackout, I guess, which I had never done before. I knew my limits and I never wanted to drink to that stage because I just wanted to have a good time and remember it. I thought to the day before about the prep that I had taken to do this. I had a 
nagging feeling something weird had happened. I thought back to Friday. Just then, a wave of memories just popped into my head. I remember the exterminator coming. I remember killing some bugs that had shown up in the house. Me and Priscilla had wanted to get rid of them so they wouldn't be crawling around during the party. I remember the exterminator coming. I remember falling into my rose bushes and I got stabbed hard in the back. But I remember them feeling so much worse than they usually do than just their normal prick. I remember going to the store with Priscilla, getting decorations and some games to play. I remember being afraid. I remember being chased by a big black dog. I remember the way it tackled me and made it feel like I was flying through the air. It bit me and scratched me with its claws right into my back. Thankfully, Eric had helped me chase it away and the animal control had captured it. The memory of the dog jumped me back to Thursday. I remember the dog had accidentally walked in through our sliding glass doors from the yard. We had forgotten to lock them. I remember waking up to the dog attacking Leo, then attacked me, which is why the police came. I remember being so afraid that this huge dog, it seemed almost impossibly tall, like the biggest Great Dane, but it had so much more muscle and it was so intimidating. I went over to the bathroom and lifted up my shirt to look at my back. All across my back were big bandages that covered up the wounds. Now that my headache was starting to fade away, I could definitely feel how deep the scratches and bites were. I vaguely remember being in the hospital room with the bland blue curtains and faded green walls. I remember a lot of talking after I got patched up. Probably I was describing what happened to me just to make sure I guess I got the proper care. I remember the doctors took a really long time examining my wounds and they took pictures. They were nice, but they never took off their masks. I remember looking at their uniforms, trying to figure out what hospital I was in, but I must have been in shock because I can't remember what was embroidered on their coats. I went down the hallway to Priscilla's room and quietly opened the door. I looked inside and she was alone on her bed, fast asleep with the curtains open. I thought that was a little strange because she always closed them at night because she hated being woken up by the sun before her alarm. She was very particular about her nighttime habits. I wondered what she would remember when she woke up. I was so thrown off. I had never had a barbecue where so many people had slept over. The mess was kind of typical, but usually people helped clean up before they left. But so many of them had crashed here. Everyone else must have been too trash to help. I quickly went through the whole house, checking to make sure there wasn't any more broken glass on the floor anywhere. Thankfully, most of the mess was just cups and bottles that were all over the place. There were some crumbs and food that had fallen, but nothing that I wasn't expecting. I went outside and placed Leo onto the grass. He carefully went through the grass and was sniffing the garden. That was a little unusual for him because he would zip around on the grass as soon as I put him down. But maybe he was tired from the party too. Outside, there was a big mess of confetti, streamers, and random crap. I went over to my rose bushes. I gingerly put my hand through the branches, then carefully pulled out a clump of streamers caught in the thorns. There were some ladybugs and aphids crawling on the streamers, which I just gently shook them off. I stared at the ladybugs as they flew away. Something about the red and black just mesmerized me a little bit. Leo came over quickly to me and started whining and jumping up on my legs. I tried to pick him up, but he seemed to be pushing me away from the rose bushes. I walked back inside and he quickly followed after me. I heard a shuffling coming down from the hall. I looked up to see Priscilla coming around the corner in her robe. She looked around at the mess, then saw her brother and his roommates splayed out all over the living room. 
Leo was already on top of them, licking their faces as they slowly started to wake up a little. She looked up to me with half-closed, sleepy eyes and said, What the hell? She turned right around and went back down the hall to her room. I could hear her mumbling under her breath as she walked. I smiled to myself. I really wasn't ready to clean up this mess either, but thankfully there were still some guests around to help clean it up. I went around to Eric and his roommates and woke them up by shaking them. They all kind of looked like zombies in the way they slowly sat up trying to comprehend where they were. I left them there to figure it out as I went outside. I knocked on all of the windows of my friends and family. I invited them inside to have some breakfast before they cleaned up and left. They all trudged inside, all complaining of headaches, their clothes reeked of alcohol. As everyone settled in, I asked them about what they remembered from last night. Everyone said a similar version of what I had remembered. They all had a great time drinking last night and it was a really fun barbecue. They had all drank way too much, but still remembered the story that I had told them about the dog attack. I had even been showing off my back with all my bandages. I cringed at myself. I couldn't believe I was flashing everybody, but backwards. Eric and his roommates confirmed the dog attack story, that they had all come over to help us feel safer. I nodded along and listened to their stories, the memories becoming clearer in my head. It all made sense, but there was still something, a feeling of doubt that I couldn't quite shake. We all ate breakfast. Priscilla finally came out, but she ate outside because she became nauseous of everybody's stink. But she certainly helped to direct everybody to clean up the mess afterwards. All of the guests helped pitch in to clean up, which took about 45 minutes with everybody's help. By the time we said our goodbyes and everybody left, it was already 6 p.m. Me and Priscilla both sat onto the couch together. She said, I'm exhausted. Oh yes, I'm sure it was exhausting directing everybody from your seat at the kitchen. She said, it's hard being the manager. You have to have the plan and all the answers. Besides, you have to make sure everybody does it right to my standards. We both laughed, but I totally understood what she was saying. Even though I had just barely woken up, I still felt so tired. I hadn't recovered from my injuries yet. I let out a big yawn, then winced from the pain in my back. Priscilla's face got serious and asked, Are you okay? These past couple of days have just been crazy. My whole brain can't seem to wrap my head around it. I smiled a little and said, your whole brain can't wrap your head? I didn't know you had that much going on in there. She playfully smacked my arm and said, you know what I mean. She frowned again, but I'm serious. Are you sure you want to go to work tomorrow? I gave her a hug and said, I'm fine. Thankfully, the doctors patched me up good. I can't call out again. You know I need to make those connections. Also, this shoot tomorrow is really important for the company and me. There'll be tons of people there that I can network with. And also, it's just a really cool shoot. She asked, what was it again? I said, it's really cool. I'm going to be photographing underwater scenes. It's for a clothing company where they're going to make their dresses look very ethereal underwater. And it's going to be floating around magically. Priscilla nodded her head. I remember now. I've seen a couple pictures like that before. They look really cool. You see, that's why I really need to go tomorrow. I don't want to miss out on something like this. Priscilla stared at me hard for a second, trying to see if I was hiding my true feelings. She sighed and said, Well, if you insist. Priscilla stared at me hard for a second, trying to see if I was hiding my true feelings. She sighed and said, Well, if you insist. Well, if you insist. We spent the rest of the night lazily hanging out. Leo acted a little odd as the sun went down. He stared out the sliding glass doors a lot, like he was watching for someone. I thought that maybe he was just scared from the dog that had attacked us. 
Before we went to sleep that night, I made sure to close all the curtains and double check the locks of all the windows and doors. Priscilla gave me a calming essential oil pen, tea, and a cold eye mask so that I could sleep soundly at night. As I laid in my bed, I stared at the corner of my room where I had seen the dog for the first time. A wave of fear washed over me and dread. Leo saw me looking into the corner. He barked and growled at the corner, then quickly jumped into my bed. He snuggled up right against me, and I left the lights on for that night. The next morning, I woke up late. I had been tossing and turning all night because I had a nightmare. At first, it had started out with bugs just crawling all over my legs, making me feel really itchy and grossed out. But then it changed to where I was outside in the rain. I was in my yard holding my hands cupped up to the sky as I collected the water. I looked into my hands and it was pitch black. The water was deep. I could see that it ran for miles past my hands. I tilted my head over it to block some of the raindrops. Through the quivering water, I saw something, a spark through the darkness. A shape slowly rose through the darkness. Into the lighter part of the water, I stared mesmerized at it. Even though it was so small in my hands, it consumed every part of my mind. I was completely focused on it. Slowly, the shape came into the light and it broke through the top of the water. I gasped and threw my hands up into the air. The water fell onto the ground and the creature disappeared into a mist before it hit the floor. The nightmare had tired me out a little, but I have had worse and more vivid ones than that before. I was able to quickly get over it with a quick sip of caffeine. I rushed out the door to the photo shoot location. When I got to the location, I was so excited and there was a rush of people. So many people were getting ready for the shoot. The models, the makeup and clothing crew, along with the tech crew who set up the lights and adjusted the equipment. There was a flurry of activity through the whole location. There were trailers, trucks and cars haphazardly parked close together. I peeked inside and I could see rows of spare clothes and stacks of makeup. There were people hauling around equipment and fiddling with tents. I grew more excited as the buzz of energy filled everyone. There were people hauling around equipment and fiddling with tents. I grew more excited as the buzz of energy filled everyone. I wandered through and admired the work of the other people. Also, the dresses were all so beautiful and flowy. The models had bold waterproof makeup to pop through the shoots. There was even a snack table filled with a variety of trail mixes, granola bars, pastries, and drinks. I quickly grabbed a cheese roll and a water bottle. I took a quick sip of the water and it was refreshingly cool. I finally reached the end of the set and saw the other photographer, Selznick. He was the main photographer of the shoot because he had experience on shooting underwater scenes. I had been allowed to participate in the shoot to minimize his work. I was supposed to take pictures from other angles deeper in the water. Selznick had some health issues now and couldn't use the respirator on the scuba suit, so he had to snorkel. I greeted Selznick and without a wasted word, he started a lesson on underwater photography. He quickly explained the safety precautions and protective equipment used to keep the camera dry. It was intense and fast, but I kept pace with him absorbing the information quickly. He corrected my mistakes and answered all my questions in a straightforward manner, but was still pleasant. After he was done explaining everything, he asked, did you get all that? I stared at him a little overwhelmed, but I nodded my head and said, I'm excited to get into the water. He patted my shoulder and said, you asked the right questions, so I know you followed along. It's okay you aren't a master as long as you get it. I nodded my head and said, thank you, I'll make sure to do my best. He chuckled and said, we are paying you to do your best, so don't mess up. He gave me a slightly serious, stern frown. I laughed a little nervously and said, of course. He pointed over to the gray building that had the locker rooms. He said, find my assistant. She will help you get suited up and I'll take care of final adjustments for the cameras. I nodded my head and handed him my camera. I walked inside the building and it was slightly chilly and damp inside. 
I knew the pool must be on the other side of the wall. I headed inside to the woman's locker room where one of Selznick's assistants was already suited up. She helped me pick the right size equipment and suit for the dive. I struggled to get the suit over my body as it was so skin tight and already slightly damp which grossed me out. My back ached where my stitches pulled, but I couldn't let anyone see them or else they might kick me off the chute. Thankfully, Priscilla had unwillingly put on waterproof band-aids over the stitches last night. I was able to zip up the soup by myself. Zelznik's assistant helped me lift up the tank onto my shoulders and did final checks with me on the equipment. We then headed out of the locker room to the pool. It was a gigantic pool. I hadn't realized that they had rented out a pool with a tall diving board. The bottom of the pool sloped sharply down into the deep water. But the water was crystal clear. As I got closer to the pool, I could see how still the water was. It was perfectly still. It was almost like glass how reflective it was of the lights, with its clear blue going down to a slightly deeper blue at the deep end. But I could see all the way to the bottom with all the lanes and markings lining the way. The chill had completely dissipated from the dreary gray locker room. The sun shined brightly and warmly onto my back. As we got closer, Zelznik's assistant Samara put down the equipment by the pool edge. I walked up to the pool and dipped my toes into the clear, still water. The water was warm surprisingly and it felt really nice. I was amused to see the water ripple out into small waves. I watched fascinated with how far the small waves went out. I heard a chorus of voices coming from the locker room. I turned to look and saw Zelznik along with a rush of people streaming through the locker room doors. Zelznik and another assistant carried the cameras. They were both suited up in skin-tight wetsuits. They didn't have any equipment with them, unlike me and Samara. I could see the assistant was holding on to some snorkel masks with the breathing tubes. Through the locker room doors and just right behind them, I could see the models, makeup team, and tech crew streaming in. The tech crew began the final adjustments with lighting and reflectors and also putting some equipment down into the water as well. The makeup and clothing teams set up chairs, towels, and warm robes to the side of the pool for when the models got out of the water. Zelznik set up three different shooting stages. His most experienced assistant would take pictures of the models jumping off of one of the low boards. If they were more daring, maybe one of the higher diving platforms. Selznick would take pictures of the models as soon as they entered into the water, and I would take pictures as they fell deeper into the water from their jump. Then, Zelznick would either have them do another jump, or most likely have them dive into the water and pose multiple times to get an interesting shot. Final preparations were made. I got sent down to the bottom of the pool with Samara as backup. I jumped into the water, and the comfortable warmth of it slid over my body. I took a spot almost right under Selznick in the shallower end of the pool. Obviously, we couldn't go into the deep end because we didn't want to get smacked by the falling models into the water. I swam right down to the bottom of the pool. I satisfyingly touched the bottom. I normally was never able to do that as I had terrible breath control and also never could figure out how to dive that deep without assistance. I looked over to the deep end and could see the clear water fade into a darker blue. Sunlight beams shine through the ripples and waves of the water. It made a beautiful dancing light display at the bottom of the pool I was in. But the light didn't quite reach the bottom of the deep end. It was so empty and big. I got a slight chill which I shook off quickly. I could still clearly see the markings and the bottom of the deep end anyway. I swam up a little into my position, then I patiently waited for the first model as she walked across the diving board. She took a second to steady herself, then jumped off. Through the water, I could see her dress fluff out into a bright red cloud. It was almost like slow motion as I stared mesmerized as she fell with her dress, almost turning into wings. Then she splashed down into the water. She fell through the water gracefully, slicing through it easily. She stopped partway through the deep end of the water. She opened her eyes and stared right at me. She posed fiercely for the camera. Her dress flared up around her like a billowy cloud of smoke. 
I took a flurry of shots, hoping to capture that beauty. She then slowly rose up through the water and broke through the surface. She was given a small raft to hold onto, then pushed herself down into the water. She dove again and again. She had good stamina and would swim as far down as she could, then pose, but then she quickly floated back up again. After about an hour of shooting and a couple other dives from the other models, Selznick motioned for the final shots. The models I knew needed a clothing change. I was glad to have a break as I was getting a little tired. Also, I really needed to dry out a bit. I could feel my stitches pulling against my wet flesh and tugging through it. It was starting to hurt. I could feel the bandages rubbing loose too. The model in the red dress was called one last time as she was very experienced and had the most vibrant dress. Her dress contrasted nicely with a dark blue background. She dove into the water one final time. Her dress beautifully floated around and we got our last shots. Zelznik signaled that we were done for now. The model took a small dive, playing around in the water. I decided to go to the very bottom of the pool to get a candid shot. As I swam down, I could feel one of the bandages finally peel off and shift. My stitches rubbed against the wetsuit. It stung and hurt as the water creeped its way through the stitches into my wound. I had almost reached the bottom of the pool when I saw a small misty cloud of blood drift past. It must have come from the wounds in my back. I reached down with my foot to touch the bottom and felt nothing. I looked down and panic gripped my heart. There was no bottom. I looked down and there was nothing but vast empty water. It was bottomless. The sun did not even reach a fraction of the way down. It was a vast, almost changeless blue that felt endless but so suffocatingly close. A blue prison which I couldn't escape. I felt so alone, floating, disconnected completely. All I could hear was my own raspy breathing and the loud beating of my own heart. Slowly, a darkness crept through the entire bottom of the pool. Somehow the pool was deepening even further, but also taking me to a new, darker place. Suddenly, the water turned ice cold. My muscles began to immediately cramp up because of the sudden change in temperature. The wounds in my back stung more than ever. I realized the water had turned salty. I looked down again and there was clearly a deep well of darkness that blanketed the bottom. The dark water looked to have some sort of misty haze over the top of it. As I stared around dazed, the pool had just become the deepest well straight to the bottomless ocean. A flash of red caught my eye. I looked up and realized that the model was still in the water. She was staring down at the bottom of the pool in amazement. I looked over to Selznick. He was also completely motionless, staring down at the impossible scene below. I seemed to be further away than before, but I was only supposed to be about 10 feet down, but it looked like I was down a good 25 feet or more. I looked around at the edges of the pool. It looked like the rest of the models and crew members were peering down the edges of the pool. I felt almost a magnetic pool drawing me towards the dark water, but I swam up towards the light a little. That's when I noticed a long tentacle breaking through the dark mist at the bottom of the pool. I stared in amazement, completely frozen from fear and bewilderment. I watched as another tentacle rose out of the water. It waved around and drifted slowly in a hidden current of water. Then slowly, the front of an open mouth broke through the dark surface. The mouth had long, sharp teeth that opened up from an abnormally large mouth that hung below its flat-shaped shield of a head. It was so large that it almost took up my entire field of vision. It was impossibly huge. It had one piercing black oval eye, like a cyclops, 
at the top front of the smooth, roundish part of the head. Its body tapered down to a long, eel-like body. But it had a weird row of almost hand-like fins at the front of its body, right past the mammoth jaws. It was covered in large scales that covered its pale grayish-orange body. The main body stretched down into that eel shape that probably went down for miles, still stuck in the abyss. If I hadn't seen everyone staring down at the pool, I would have thought I was hallucinating. But something in the back of my mind told me that this was somewhat familiar. That the possibility of what was happening was a lot higher than zero. The wounds in my back stung again. A hazy memory flashed through my mind. That black dog in my previous memories had morphed to a larger black shadow and a horrible dry buzzing shook through my head. I stared intently at the shadow, trying to see through the dark haze of a cloudy memory, but the fear that coursed coldly through my veins overwhelmed me. I stared intently at the shadow, trying to see through the dark haze of a cloudy memory, but the fear that coursed coldly through my veins overwhelmed me. I snapped out of my memory and noticed that the creature was closer than before its tentacles reaching up towards the model and even sticking out, breaking through the top of the water. I noticed that several people were frozen in fear to the side of the pool, but there were also people who had run off. I could hear them screaming very muffled through the water. The model in the red dress had been frozen in fear, but she made her move. She quickly got out of her dress that she had unzipped to use it as a distraction. But as she struggled to slip out of it, she got tangled in the long layers. She desperately thrashed around and tried to swim towards the edge of the pool. Suddenly, she stopped moving. A pool of blood slowly escaped from her body, joining into the red of her dress. My body trembled with fear and my eyes grew wide. The model had been stabbed by the tentacle. The end of the tentacle had retractable spikes that had pierced through her with lightning-fast speed. She was completely impaled by the spikes. It went straight through her chest and stomach like telephone poles completely obliterating her. The creature slowly moved its tentacle towards its mouth and it opened it up. The mouth was impossibly huge. I could feel the water move and shift just from opening its mouth sucking me towards it. The model's broken body swayed back and forth in terrible crooked shapes. I snapped out of my daze. I felt my body jolt into action. I started swimming as fast as I could, dropping all of the unnecessary weight to bolt to the surface as fast as I could. I swam as quickly as I could, kicking furiously and clawing at the water. I didn't look back. I couldn't look at that model's sad, dead face being consumed by that monster. I could feel the wounds in my back and the one in my leg opening up. I could see the blood streaking behind me as I shot to the surface. I saw Zelsnik at the top of the water, taking pictures of the creature. I couldn't even stop to think or even wave him down. I broke through the surface of the water, gasping for breath as I had ripped off the respirator and had dropped the oxygen tank so I could be faster. I swam towards the edge of the pool. I reached up and quickly yanked myself out, rolling onto the ground away from the pool. As soon as I got onto my feet, a tentacle splashed down hard onto the spot I had just been. I noticed Selznick by the side of the pool. He was struggling to get out, but first he threw the camera as far as he could. I took a step towards him to help, but then I saw the tentacle between us. I took several steps back. I quickly looked around. There were still some people frozen in fear, watching the creature eat while they stood or quivered on their knees. Many of the other people had run off, such as Samara and her crew members. I could hear engines revving, people running around and screaming in the locker room. I looked back again towards Selznick, and he was already in the grip of the tentacle. In a flash, he was thrown into the mouth of the creature. I stumbled backwards and scrambled towards the locker room doors. When I reached them, I took a second to just look back once. 
I heard a huge splash of water and what sounded like a waterfall. When I turned around, I saw the creature lifting itself out with the help of its tentacles and clawed hand-like fins. The water rushed off its head in huge rivers of water. It shifted its head slightly towards me. I could feel its gaze land directly on me with its one black beady eye. I threw myself through the doorway and ran through the locker room. I quickly grabbed my bag out of the locker before exiting. Outside of the building, it was complete chaos as people ran around knocking over tables and tents, trying to get back to their cars. I heard several people on their phones calling the police or other people. Some were sobbing or others had that hardened look of determined survival on their face. I raced to my car. I jammed the keys into my lock. Before I jumped in, I heard a huge crash and what sounded like the building crumbling. There was a series of screams from the poor souls who couldn't escape. I couldn't stand to hear their wailing and jumped into my car. I sped out of the parking lot and into the freeway. I started driving straight home from there. There wasn't anywhere else I could think of to go. The fear overwhelmed me. My body shook from the cold and from shock at what I had just witnessed. The wetsuit I was wearing was still dripping with water and had cooled down a lot. As I traveled down on the freeway towards my house, I heard a small crinkling coming from my bag. I just assumed it was the water bottle rolling around and squishing leftover food wrappers from the snack table. But the crinkling grew louder. I was concerned, thinking that there was some sort of bug or weird thing was going on with the bottle. But I didn't want to pull over because I just wanted to get home as fast as possible. Then suddenly the bottle popped open. I could see the water spilling out of the bag, wetting the seat and the floor. It startled me and I swerved a little. I almost hit the car right next to me in the other lane. I looked over to the bottle, wondering what happened. It was strange because it was just a water bottle and there was no way it should have popped on its own. I glanced over quickly and saw what looked like a small tentacle pointing out of the bag where, where the bottle was in. I slammed on my brakes terrified. That caused the water to splash out even more. So much more water ran out of the bottle than what could possibly be inside. Several cars honked and swerved out of my way and there was a loud screeching of tires. Thankfully, I didn't get hit. I grabbed the entire bag and threw it out my window. I continued on my way home thinking that what I just saw was a traumatized mirage I had just made up. I finally pulled into my driveway. I got out of my car and ran into my house. The only one home inside was Leo. Priscilla was still at work. I heard his little feet pitter-patter over to me quickly. I scooped him up as soon as I saw him. I held him close to calm my nerves. I quickly peeled off the wetsuit. It left my skin feeling cold and clammy. I took a towel to dry myself off and put on a fluffy robe. But I couldn't seem to get warm. I went over to the bathroom and turned on the shower full blast with high heat. While I waited for the shower to heat up, I went to go warm up a cup of water for some tea to help me calm down more. I didn't want to wait for it to boil, so I took a cup and filled it up with water to microwave it. As I filled up the clear glass, I noticed that the water looked a little cloudy. I looked closely at the water and held it up to my face. Leo started whining and I told him to shush. I stared at the glass again and suddenly it had turned blue, the same blue that the pool had been. I stared completely shocked. The blue looked just like the deep end of the pool. I set the glass down onto the counter and took a step back. Leo started growling and barking. I couldn't even react to him because I was so shocked. As I stared at the glass, I couldn't even see the bottom of it as it had turned such a deep, dark blue. Then, out of the darkness, a tentacle rose up. It quickly started trying to pull itself out of the cup. I could see the same large teeth, the gaping mouth and shield-like head. I could hear its clawed fins clinking and scraping against the glass. As soon as the tentacle lifted up and curled itself around the edge of the glass, it started growing bigger. It didn't grow that fast or that large, but still, I wondered what would happen if it made its way completely out of the glass. 
Leo somehow managed to jump up onto the counter and push the glass over. The water spilled out all over the floor and the creature fell out as well. But the water just kept pouring and pouring out of the glass. The creature writhed on the floor. It had a very long eel-like body, but it was covered in protective scales along the top. Its tentacles were alongside its body with its spikes out and they whipped out towards me. The creature started growing more in size. I grabbed the glass that was pouring all of the water out and smashed it against the ground. This thankfully stopped the flow of water, but the creature still flopped around in the huge puddle lying on the floor. I grabbed Leo off the countertop and backed up. I was thinking of a way to kill it when I heard a loud crash from the bathroom. I ran over to the bathroom door before I even reached for the doorknob. I stepped into a puddle of water. There was water pooling out from under the door. Suddenly, two spikes crashed through the door, breaking it. I screamed. I knew that there was another horrible creature in the bathroom. I slipped as I tried to get away. I fell hard on my back. I was still holding onto Leo and thankfully he didn't get hurt. As I tried to get back up to get away from the door, as the creature was pounding through it, I heard it clicking and scraping coming towards me. I looked up and saw that creature from the kitchen was crawling right towards me. It was huge, probably the size of a twin bed now. It crawled towards me using its clawed-like fins and tentacles to balance, to scuttle around on the floor. Leo was barking like crazy. Its sound pierced through my ears. I couldn't get away from one coming down the hallway because the one in the bathroom had broken through most of the door and its tentacles were whipping around, blocking my path. I scooted back against the wall next to a small hallway table. It rattled as I squeezed myself right next to it. I realized that there was a candle with a lighter that we use sometimes. I reached up and grabbed the lighter and candle. I quickly lit the candle and waited for the perfect moment. The one from the kitchen crawled towards me slowly. Its disgusting fins scraping and squishing against the floor. Its long body arched over its back. It almost looked like a scorpion. I waited for it to get a little closer. I looked down at the candle and I was ready for it. I threw the candle at the creature and hot wax spilled all over it. It screeched this horrifying noise that made me want to stab my ears. Even Leo stopped barking and tried to cover his own ears with his paws. The creature ran back to the kitchen. That was my chance and I ran towards the front door. I was able to snag my keys off of the entry table. I ran towards my car. I set Leo in the seat next to me. I sat for a second, looking at my house devastated by the damage being done inside. I hated the fact that I had been attacked in my own home again. Wait, again? The hazy memories of the tall thing flashed across my mind again. But I shook my head and quickly reversed my car out onto the road. As I was driving down the road, a group of black cars surrounded me. One of the black cars cut me off. The cars all parked around me. A few men and women got out of the cars. They stood by looking around, checking, I guess, to see if there was anything amiss. I could see them talking into their phones and directing some of them to go back into my house. A tall man walked up to my car window and tapped on the glass. He had mostly white hair with some small flecks of black. His tan skin shone warmly like he stepped off a beach. He wore a light gray fleece sweater with dark pants. His sweater had IPD embroidered in bold letters. Under IPD, the name Dr. O'Shea was embroidered. I stared at the name and the acronym. It seemed familiar. A memory flashed through my mind. I was back again in the hospital, lying on my side as the doctors worked on my wounds. As I stared at their white coats, the letters that had been so blurred came into focus. They all had IPD embroidered on them. I snapped out of my memory as he tapped on my window again. He held up my wallet, which was tattered, wet, and dirty. He smiled at me while I slightly lowered my window. He said, my name is Dr. O'Shea, and I believe this is yours, Celeste. I reached out to grab my wallet and realized that it had been in the bag that I had thrown out onto the freeway. I asked, how did you find this, and why are you returning it to me? 
Dr. O'Shea said, you left quite a mess out on that freeway. Thankfully, you left evidence right at the scene. We wanted to check up on you to see if you needed help, which by the looks of it, you needed it. He nodded his head over towards my house, which was only a few doors down. I looked in my rear view mirror and saw a group of people carrying in a huge black bin. Several people armed with guns and other strange looking weapons quickly entered into the house from an armored truck. I looked back at him and asked, do you mean by mess the same thing that happened on the freeway as what happened in my house? Dr. O'Shea nodded his head and said, yes. That creature is capable of multiplying into various copies of itself to capture prey. The one that appeared in the plastic bottle that you threw onto the freeway grew into quite a huge size that is going to require a bit of cleanup. I shivered thinking about those poor people who hopefully had been able to get out of the way of that thing. I said, I didn't know it was going to grow to be that big or be a hazard to anyone. I thought it would just get run over. I didn't want anyone else to get hurt. Dr. O'Shea held up his hand and shook his head. There is no way you could have known. There is no responsibility on you for successfully evading something that was hunting you. You've always done remarkably well at surviving. You should never apologize for that. I looked up at him confused. I said, I always have? I paused for a second and searched his face for any answers. He kept a friendly, neutral look on his face. But I already knew the answer. My memories were pleading to be remembered correctly. I said, this has happened more than once, hasn't it? Dr. O'Shea tilted his head a little and said, you're very resilient in more than one way. I understand that you've been through a lot and I would like to take you to the Institute to recover from your ordeal. We can have a conversation after and we can answer any of each other's questions. His wording was really throwing me off. I felt like I've had this conversation many times before. He pointed towards the black car and said, you can bring Leo with you. We will personally drive you to the Institute's hospital. I looked at him a little shocked because he knew Leo's name, but I knew I shouldn't be surprised because obviously Dr. O'Shea knew a lot more about me than he was letting on. As I got out of my car, I realized that my robe had some blood seeping through it. They offered me a large blanket that had fans in it that blew warm air over my body. I was seated by myself in the back of the car, separated by a thick metal and plastic partition. Dr. O'Shea and another man sat at the front. They both whispered to each other in hushed voices. I couldn't quite hear them through the partition and over the fan's noise. I held Leo closely as I quickly fell asleep because of the warmth. Finally, as the adrenaline left, I was completely drained of energy. I woke up with a start as I heard a loud rattling. I realized it probably had been a few hours since we started the drive, since the sun was dipping down in the sky. In front of the car was a large gate that was slowly opening to reveal another gate on the other side, but this one was inside the building. There was a big opening that fit all of the cars and trucks that had followed us back. As we entered the space into the building, I looked around I noticed we had already passed through a chain-link fence that completely surrounded the whole building. The building was large and seemed to be in the middle of nowhere. There were large trees that surrounded all around the building, and I couldn't see anything else beyond their branches except more forest. The second gate closed behind us and it was pitch black. Then a green and purple light scanned us. After a few seconds, a short alarm blared. Then a bell rang. Dr. O'Shea and the driver looked at each other for a quick second. The third gate in front of us opened. All of the cars entered single file into a huge parking lot that held a variety of different vehicles from armored trucks, pickups to tanks. Some of the cars pulled off to the side and parked in empty spots. But a few of the cars kept going like the one I was in towards another large door. It opened up to reveal a huge freight elevator, but several cars could fit in. 
the remaining cards filed in and parked in a line. Slowly, the gate closed again and lowered us down. It was a surprisingly smooth ride and only slightly creaked as it made its way down. I don't know how many stories we went down. Finally, it stopped and we exited out into another huge parking lot. We parked and Dr. O'Shea led me down through a series of locked doors, which she had to use multiple authentication codes in order to access. However, they were all relatively quick and only took a few seconds to complete all of them. We were always monitored by several cameras and Dr. O'Shea had to confirm his identity through each point. He then led me down a corridor, which looked just like a hospital. There were a few doctors and nurses walking around. It was extremely organized and sterile. He led me into a private room where a doctor quickly took over. She gave me a very warm and soft gown. I noticed on one of the walls there was a large one-way mirror. And also there was a camera up in the corner of the room. It made me feel a little uneasy, but I thought about it. With creatures like what I had seen at the pool and its capabilities, I understood the precautions they had to take. The doctor quickly looked over my wounds, cleaned them out, and restitched the ones that had come loose. She put large bandages over them. She then gave me a matching sweatsuit to keep me warm, as it was a little chilly down there with the air conditioning. As I thanked her for the sweatsuit, I noticed IPD embroidered onto her jacket. But then Leo distracted me. He gave her hand a lick and he flipped over onto his belly as he laid on the bed to get some belly scratches. Dr. O'Shea came back into the room. He led me down another hallway, past more secure doors. This hallway had lots of armed guards and even more doctors walking around with notes under their arms. The guards and the doctors all had IPD with their names written below it on their coats, shirts, or jackets. They all stared at me as we walked past. I patted Leo as we walked down the hall. He was completely silent and seemed to recognize some of the people that we passed. We entered a very plain gray room that had two chairs and a table. Dr. O'Shea had me sit down at the table on one of the chairs it was an old wooden chair with some dark green cushions. Dr. O'Shea said, It only seems fair, since you've been through quite a terrible day, that you get to have your questions answered first. What can I help you with to put you at ease? So many thoughts ran through my mind about this place, the creatures and the institute that we were in. I asked, What does IPD mean? Are you part of a police department? Dr. O'Shea said, IPD stands for the Institute of Paranormal Defense. We have dedicated members across the world to help us research paranormal anomalies. We do extensive research in order to protect not only humans, but the world from these anomalies. We attempt to keep these monsters just myths. I asked, so like that monster I saw today? Dr. O'Shea said, yes, exactly. We have studies about this particular creature, but it has been superbly hiding for several decades. I said, until now, huh? My luck. I sighed and leaned back into my seat. As I looked around the room, even though it was just a plain interrogation room, the whole setting felt familiar, like I had been there before. It was obvious from the way that my memories were changing and the way Leo reacted. I had obviously been here before. I looked at Dr. O'Shea and asked, Why can't I remember you? I know I've been here before. I know you. Why is it that the memories I have this past weekend seem so real? But I know they're not the truth. It's just there, but I can't seem to pull back the haze. Dr. O'Shea said, give me one second. He went outside for a few moments, then came back in with a box. He pulled out several pictures and laid them out flat for me to look at. He asked, do any of these seem familiar? I looked over the pictures and they were really strange animals. One was a mutated lamb with six legs or a deep sea creature that had translucent skin. I looked over the pictures 
looking at more weird animals. Then I came across a praying mantis. But this wasn't a regular green one. This one was black and red. Leo was on my lap. He was also looking at the pictures. He began barking as soon as he saw the picture. My head started spinning and I grabbed onto the side of the table. I stared intently into the praying mantis's eyes in the picture. My memories all swirled together in madness. The laughing faces of my family were replaced with the faces of Dr. O'Shea and other IPD people. Those strong tequila shots turned into just strong antibiotics and tonics that I drank in the same hospital room that I had just been in. Then, that black dog that had attacked me got morphed into its true form, to a giant black and red praying mantis with the body of a man. It all snapped into clarity. The heavy haziness that covered my memories finally lifted. I felt dizzy and put my head in my hands. Leo tried to make me feel better by licking my arms. Dr. O'Shea took away the pictures and said, it seems the memory adjustments have completely collapsed now, haven't they? I said, memory adjustments? My whole memory was fake. Dr. O'Shea said, we did this so you could go back to living your normal life. Although it seems like it's not a possibility anymore. I asked, what do you mean? Dr. O'Shea looked at me and said, you've had many run-ins with other myths in the past. We thought it was because you lived in a hot zone and these creatures seemed to congregate there. However, the amount of interactions that you've had show that these creatures are particularly attracted to you. And you've never had an interaction with two myths within such a short amount of time. I asked, how am I ever gonna be safe from them? I don't think that other sea monster has even left me alone. I don't want to spend the rest of my life running into these things. Also, I don't want to have my memories keep being messed with. Dr. O'Shea excused himself one more time, then brought me back a bottle of water. As I reached for it, Leo started whining a little. I cracked open the seal and took a quick sip of water. Then Leo started barking. I set down the bottle of water on the table. I noticed that it was happening again. The water turned dark. The same terrifying sea creature appeared out of the darkness. I jumped out of my seat. Then a few armed guards came rushing in with a large jar full of some liquid. They quickly shoved the bottle into the jar and I could hear the creature screeching as it drowned in whatever poison they had put in that container. Dr. O'Shea looked at me with sad, sympathetic eyes. We have never had someone escape this creature before. It's only been a matter of time before it shows up and then he trailed off. But he looked up with determined eyes and said, but we will keep you safe here until we can break this curse that's on you. Celeste, you have some strange powers that we don't quite understand. You could be the key to unlocking your own salvation. The IPD welcomes you to your new home. Dr. O'Shea stretched out his hand I stared at him shocked at just what had happened and the words that were coming out of his mouth. Those nightmares that had been plaguing me all these years, I realized were real and they were not going to stop. But as I looked at Dr. O'Shea's hand, I thought back to the devil's mantis and the other nightmares that I had conquered. I steadied myself. I walked up to him and I shook his hand. I said, I'm ready for whatever the unknown may be. Okay, everybody, that was today's tale. I really enjoyed writing this. I had so much fun researching this and just getting so much inspiration from other stories and of course, other creatures that I have seen before. I decided to make something a little bit new. Um, this creature was inspired by the myth of the Leviathan, you know, really terrifying sea creatures that go out to the sea but, you know, for this one, it's like, what happens if you can't escape from the sea? You can't escape from water. So I thought it was really creepy and scary. I was really inspired by, you know, Hellboy, by the Bureau of Paranormal Research and Defense, and also, of course, SCPs. 
For my story, I have created my own institute where all of the creatures that I have personally had nightmares of all live in within this institute. Poor Celeste is having to deal with all of this and we can definitely continue on with this series with the Institute delving more into the different myths that, and nightmares that Celeste has had and is she going to be able to escape this one creature and how will she do that? Because this is a curse upon her. She can't get rid of it too easily. And what are her strange powers that compel all of these different creatures to come towards her? And let me know if you would like me to continue this series. I really enjoyed it. You know, I can't get enough of spooky, scary things. And I would love to continue this on beyond Halloween. Also, wherever you're listening, please follow us or subscribe. It really, really helps us with growing our platform and just letting us know that you really love these stories as well. It really helps me and motivates me to see your encouragement. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Midnight Tale Podcast. I'm glad that you were all here for this week. But this is Celeste signing off until again. I'll see you all in your dreams. Bye, everybody.